Hey everyone, welcome to the Southside Church Podcast from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. We're praying that hope would rise in your life as you listen to this message today. Hey, Southside! Yeah! All right. What a welcome. Man, it's so great to be back with you all. And uh, yeah, I keep telling Mike I am his best friend. And uh, I think he believes it now, finally, after all these years. Um, It's so great to be back with you guys. And it's always a privilege for me to come and speak. And uh, I just always try to give you a little bit of an update about me. But one of the things that happened to me last week, since the last time I've been here, is I ran out of my all-dressed crispers. Yeah, it's tragic. I know a lot of you guys are like, is that a big deal? And I'm like, yeah, because you can't get them in North Carolina. And uh, I was like, last time I was here, Jake, the guitar guy up here, hooked me up with a supply. So I'm hoping Jake doesn't let me down before I go back. Uh, With my family, I want to give you an update. When Right after I left here last time, uh, my middle granddaughter, Adley Jude is her name. uh, She took a bead off a necklace and jammed it in her ear. Why a four-year-old does that, I don't know, but moms and dads, why do four-year-olds do anything that they do, right? And uh, they couldn't get it out. They tried tweezers and vacuums and all kinds of office procedures. They couldn't get it out, and so they had to surgically remove it. So there's a picture of Adley in recovery. <clears throat> she had the, yep, it was successful. She's, she's a sweetheart. We love her so much. Uh, and then we had Christmas, and I hope you guys had an amazing Christmas. Uh, our family did, and we all got together. They came to our house, and... My mother-in-law came uh, to our house from Philadelphia, and it was her first Christmas without her husband, my uh, father-in-law, and so we're so glad we got to spend a special Christmas together. Uh, The couple there on the right end, the end of that picture was my son and his wife, Kelsey, and the baby they were holding is their niece, not theirs, but they made the announcement that we're going to welcome our uh, granddaughter in July of 2023, so that was a really great Christmas. Yes, yes, we can celebrate that. Now, they say it's a pea at this size, at this stage, and then it goes to a peach pit and a peach and an orange or a grapefruit. I don't know. It eventually gets to a watermelon, but we're hoping to welcome the real thing in July of 2023, the real little girl. So we're so excited about what God's doing in our family. Um, Last time I was here, I poked fun at Pastor Mike, and it's one of the great things that I get to do every once in a while. And uh, Pastor Mike is an Edmonton Oilers fan, right? How many Oilers fans are there in here? Yeah, yeah, all three of them, Mike. There's three Oilers fans in the whole room. And so I put up a picture of the Hurricanes, the North Carolina Hurricanes winning the Stanley Cup because they did. And no one thinks that North Carolina can play hockey or we would know anything about hockey. And so I was poking fun at Mike and I thought, okay, I'm gonna look over my shoulder because he's gonna come and get me somewhere. Sometime he's gonna say something, he's gonna rub it in. And you know what he does? The very next day, him and some Southsiders, they take me to a Vancouver Canucks and Canadians game. Can you believe that? Pastor Mike is that nice. He takes me to a hockey game and it was amazing. It was one of the best experiences I've ever had. Uh, The Canadians uh, went up for nothing and uh, over the course of the regular period game, there were 12 goals that were scored. It ended in a tie, went to overtime. It was my first overtime hockey game. And in 12 seconds, the Canucks win, the home team wins. It was awesome. Any Canucks fans in the room? Yeah. Yeah, a few more, a few more than Oilers fans and a lot more than uh, Hurricane fans, I'm sure. So it was one of the most memorable hockey experiences or sporting events that I've ever been to. And I started thinking about it and I'm like, you know, every time I come to Southside, I make a memory. And I think that's one of the reasons I love being here. It feels a lot like home to me. 
Um, as we talk about today's message, I was thinking about it, and I started thinking about, have you ever lived somewhere where it's known for something and you haven't experienced it? Have you ever lived somewhere that's known for something and you haven't experienced it? And uh, for example, my wife and I, we live in Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina, and when you talk to people about places to eat, this one restaurant always comes up all the time. People are like, have you been to the Angus Barn? And we're like, no, we haven't been to the Angus Barn. And they're like, you gotta go. It's the best place, the best food. Over and over again, it comes up in conversations. And literally the place is five minutes down the road from my house. I pass it all the time. It's a great big barn, beautifully decorated. It's always packed. But my wife and I have never been to it. And it starts to get annoying because every conversation about the best places to eat comes back to the Angus Barn. And when people ask me the question, I just actually just want to lie because I'm like, I just want to tell them that I've gone there before. Because when I tell them no, the story's always the same. You've never been to the Angus Barn? You got to go to the Angus Barn. The food is amazing. Well, first of all, it takes a long time to get a reservation there. So you got to get a reservation. It's always packed. It's a little pricey, but it's because the food is so really good. Like you get these great big steaks and these sides of mac and cheese and greens and the desserts are amazing. You've got to go. You've got to experience it. And to be transparent with you, anytime somebody raves that strong about a place, I'm like, oh, come on. Like, be real. Like, who makes a reservation that far out in advance? They say at Christmas time, because it's so beautifully decorated, that you have to have a reservation over a year in advance to get into this place at Christmas time. And I'm like, nobody plans out their dinner a year in advance. <clears throat> it can't be that good. And I'm not going to go overpay for something that's really not that great. And so my wife and I, we've never been to the Angus Barn until last fall. Uh, some friends of ours had a food intervention and they called us up and said, hey, you've never been to the Angus Barn. And I'm like, no, we haven't. And they're like, we go all the time. And guess what? You're going with us. We've made the reservation. We're gonna pay for dinner. There is no reason we're removing all the obstacles, all your excuses. You're going to go and experience the Angus Barn. So my wife and I, we get dressed up and we go to the Angus Barn to meet our friends. And I am telling you what, it did not disappoint. It was ridiculous. It was like a theme park dining experience. We walked in, it's beautifully decorated. They got gift shops and stores. They've got areas where you can have cocktails before or after dinner. They've got smoking rooms if you're a cigar person and you wanna have a cigar after a nice meal. They have all these dining areas and leather couches and sofas. And we sat down with our friends to eat and I'm like, okay, <clears throat> this guy comes here all the time. So I'm gonna go ahead and do whatever he does because I want the experience to be perfect. And so he orders a 64 ounce bone-in ribeye steak <clears throat> and it's, it's seasoned perfectly, it's cooked perfectly, it comes to the table, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. Then they bring these sides of mac and cheese and greens, and they were really delicious, and I was like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it's really this good. And then this lady walks out with a tray of desserts, and I don't know if you're a dessert person, but they had carrot cake and chocolate cake and key lime, and in the South, red velvet is the thing. Everybody loves red velvet cake. And um, back in the corner of her tray, I was looking at it and I'm like, uh-oh, there it is. There's the thing I want. Like I'm an old school, old fashioned, just a good slice of apple pie with apples and a little bit of cinnamon and sugar sprinkled in there. I don't want all that gelatin or jelly stuff that's in there. I just want the apples and a light crust. And, and then it came with a big scoop of vanilla bean ice cream on top. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. This place is, it's like perfect. It's one of the best 
meal experiences I've ever had. And it was exactly as the story had built it. Our experience matched exactly every single story we had heard about the Angus Barn. And now our experience of the Angus Barn became our story. So my wife and I, everybody we run into is like, have you been to the Angus Barn? It's really good. You got to go. What? You haven't been to the Angus Barn? Everybody here goes to the Angus Barn. But isn't it really true that like we experience that every single week? It might be at the water cooler. It might be hanging out with friends. It might be, you know, through uh, social media where people tell us about things that they have experienced, maybe places. They, they might talk about restaurants or cars or clothes or gadgets or vacation getaways. And they all sound really, really great. They're great stories, but we really haven't experienced it ourselves. And sometimes it shifts from places and things to people. And the stories about people get a little tougher because sometimes they involve words like cancer or depression or body shaming or bullying. And when we hear those words right away, we're like, oh, that's horrible. That's really, really bad. And for some of us, we're like, it doesn't mean as much to us because we've not quite experienced those things ourselves. But for other people, it's their story. They're living it out every day. It's their experience and it's become their story in life. And so isn't a story, doesn't it have deeper impact, much more meaning? Doesn't it become really personal to us? And doesn't it change our perspective about things when we have a personal experience with a story? And so the thing I think is really true when we think about stories and experience is when you experience something, it does become your story. My experience is my story. So would you turn to your neighbor and say, my experience is my story. My experience is my story. Yeah. And just to reinforce it, look at the other neighbor and tell them your experience is your story, just so they remember the point of the message. <clears throat> so this idea is really important because this is what John, the apostle John, has been trying to teach us through the book of John that we've been studying as a church for a while. And if you're thinking about the book of John in the New Testament, a better way to refer to the book of John is the story of John, because these are experiences of John and the experiences that he's seen. And so the thing about John is he's been hearing this story about a new king and a new kingdom that's coming. And this new king is a divine king. He's sent from God to earth, and he's sent here to change everything, everything the way we know it. You see, up until this point, um, the kings and kingdoms and governors and governors had been a very self-centered, self-serving government and rulers. They were all about themselves. They oppressed people in a way that benefited a very few at the top. And John had seen this and experienced it. And the news, the stories that he was hearing about was about a king that was coming that was gonna be much different. This divine king was actually gonna come and rule and he was gonna sacrifice himself for other people, for everybody in the kingdom. And he was gonna rebuild and restore people's lives and he was gonna bring hope, peace, and joy into everybody's life. John was looking for this new king and this new kingdom. He'd heard all the stories and then all of a sudden it happens. The new king shows up. He's on the scene and his name is Jesus. And John is not a believer of a story that will happen one day. John is a seer 
of a real king and a kingdom that's coming. He's seeing Jesus begin to change things. John's having personal experiences of Jesus and it's changing his life. And he's watching Jesus move throughout the countryside and as people interact with him and have an experience, it changes their lives too. And so John quickly gets out his pen and paper and says, I gotta begin to record all the detail of these stories so that other people will hear the story. And John's hope is that one day that us, me, you, our kids, our grandkids, and all future generations will not only read the words on a page, they'll not only read a story about John or about other people, but that those stories become real experiences just like they did for those people and for John then, and those experiences become our story. And so John's taking an accurate account of all these stories. So this is where we're gonna pick up today in John chapter nine. Um, this is what you need to know in the front end is Jesus is working through an area of, uh, he's working through an area that's called Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, it's under Roman rule. Uh, the Romans are very self-centered, right? Self-serving government. This is the government that John had experienced and it wasn't good. He's looking for a new ruler to come in and take over. And in that same area, there was a group of strict religious people. And these religious people had studied the same stories that uh, John had. They'd heard the same things, but they had begun to look in deep detail at who God is and this divine king that was coming to earth. They started to try to understand him and to physically, humanly understand him. They had to, they had to write some stuff down. They had began to make some rules and some formulas because it's hard to understand the divine. Why would someone leave heaven to come to earth to change everything? And so they thought if he's coming to earth and he was creating a new kingdom, it had to look a certain way. And so they created a bunch of rules and processes and systems around what it would look like to be part of this kingdom. And the problem with that is that if you didn't follow the rules uh, that these people had established, the Pharisees had established, then you couldn't be part of the kingdom. So they really weren't much different than the Roman government because the Roman government was for a few, and in the Pharisees' view of religion, they're like, it's not really meant for everybody if you can't follow these rules and these guidelines. And so Jesus comes into this town, and he, he is a new king. He's bringing a new kingdom. He's going to disrupt people's thinking. The way that we think and we understand about things, he's going to disrupt it. And the Roman government had a problem with it because it wasn't just the message of Jesus, but it's what he was doing. And it was the same thing with the Pharisees. They had a problem with not just his message, but what he was doing because he was shifting their understanding of what this new kingdom was going to be about. And he challenged everybody's authority. And so Jesus shows up in this town and we pick up in verse one, it says, Walking down the street, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? So Jesus comes into town. He sees a blind man begging. Doesn't seem like a big deal, right? But probably every day in our lives as we travel somewhere, we might see that same person. I see that in my town. There's four or five street corners that I pass every day, and it's sometimes the same person, sometimes it's a different person. And a lot of them have issues. They have problems in life. And, and when you first see them, a new person, you're like a little bit compassionate. You start to think about, hey, how could I help that person? Maybe you give them a little bit of money. Maybe you give them some food or water. Um, I can imagine in this time that people were helping the blind man maybe go bathe or get to his house, walk him around town, uh, do things like that. But over time, that person that stands on the corner every single day just becomes the person who stands on the corner every single day. 
and we begin to pass by them. We don't notice them the same way we noticed them the very first time. And I'm guessing that over weeks and months and years, maybe decades, uh, very few people notice the blind man begging on the corner of the street anymore. But Jesus comes into town and sees him, says, I see you. And not only does he see him, here's the powerful thing. Jesus knows his story. He knows that he's been blind since birth. And the disciples, they're looking at this. They're noticing that Jesus sees the blind man. And so the disciples right away go to their religion and say, hey, Jesus, who sinned, this guy or his parents? Because you see the Pharisees in this rules, all these rules that they had, there was this idea during this time that if you did something wrong, that it manifested itself in yourself as some type of pain and suffering, that it manifested itself in your body as pain and suffering. And worse yet, if one of your family members did something wrong, it could show up in your life as pain and suffering as well. So the disciples see a blind man and say, hey, he, he had to sin, or maybe it wasn't him, but maybe it was parents that were sinned. Can you imagine going through life, watching everything you do, trying not to sin so that it wouldn't cause hurt or pain on someone else or even yourself? And Jesus is listening to the disciples, and again, a new king, a new way. Jesus says to his disciples, he says, hey, you're looking at the wrong thing. This is what he says in the next verse. Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. And what Jesus is saying is like, hey, if you're just looking for sin or something to blame, you're, you're asking the completely wrong question here. Because in life, like we know that we could do something wrong and it could have an impact on our life. It could cause some type of hurt or suffering on us. And we also know that other people's behavior or actions can cause some type of hurt or pain in our lives as well. But when those things are the case, it's clearly obvious that there's a link or connection. But when Jesus is looking at this blind man, he said he didn't do anything to make himself blind. It wasn't a bad behavior. He wasn't reading in the dark every night or doing something wrong that way. His parents, his parents didn't do anything wrong. Instead, what Jesus is saying is he said, you're, you're looking for the power of the old kingdom. Like when you do something wrong, there's a penalty for it. But instead, you should look at the new kingdom and look for the power of God, what God could do in somebody's life when there's pain and suffering. And so Jesus does this next. In the next verse, he says, uh, it says, he spit in the dust, made a clay paste with, a saliva, with his saliva, rubbed the paste on the blind man's eyes and said, go wash at the pool of Siloam, which means sent. The man went, washed, and saw. And so this passage is, is super powerful. Because Jesus just says, hey, quit looking for sin. Like if, if it was a sin issue, we've all done something wrong, we would all be blind at this point. We'd be walking around here, nobody would see anything. But instead, what Jesus is saying is that sometimes this pain and suffering that happens in life has a greater purpose, it has a divine purpose, that God could step into the platform of your life and do something impossible. No one had ever seen somebody that was born at birth blind all of a sudden see. It was, nobody could explain it. It was incredible. It was impossible in everybody's mind and eyes. They just saw the power of God step into the blind man's life on a platform of pain and suffering that he had since birth and do something that nobody could explain. And I think Jesus is, uh, I, I think this part of the pain and suffering is real, a really interesting part because the disciples didn't understand this wasn't something that they were looking for. And I've seen Jesus step into the pain and suffering of life and do something that nobody could explain. When I was 22, I was diagnosed with cancer. 
And it was stage four testicular cancer. I had cancer everywhere in my body but my brain. And the doctors assessed my situation and said, hey, you're going to have to have surgery. You're going to have to have chemotherapy. And uh, hopefully it'll get it. Hopefully everything will be okay. And, and when I say that I had cancer, some of you right away are like, oh, that's, that's really bad. Maybe all of you are saying, no, that's really bad. But there's a few of you in here that are like, I know what that means. Like, I know what chemotherapy is like. I've been through chemotherapy. I've been through cancer before. And what that meant for me is that it wasn't just an IV of chemotherapy. Like, it, they just didn't put one IV in and put a drug in and it was over. It was constant blood work and x-rays and CAT scans and the contrast and their cocktails that they put into your arm. And then you would feel sick and get sick and then you would still be sick. And it would happen over and over and over again. And there was constant uh, poking and prodding that happened. My, my skin color changed. My taste in my mouth changed. The smell that I had every day changed as well. And doctors would show up and my body was depleted. I was weakened every day and they would pull back the covers and my naked, weakened body and they would look at me. There's no privacy. It's a humbling moment. They would bring nurses in. They would bring students in to learn from my pain and suffering, my hurt. And I sat in the hospital bed many days and I was like, what is the point of this? Like, God, what, did, I, did I do something wrong to get cancer? Was it my fault? Somebody else's fault that I got cancer? What's the purpose of this pain and suffering in my life? And God began to do things in my life that were unbelievable, unthinkable. Most people would say impossible. In fact, we have two children, and all the doctors today say there's no medical explanation of why you would have these two children. We can't explain it. We think it's medically impossible for it to happen. And doctors oftentimes don't often mention God, but I've heard doctors begin to say it's a miracle, and that means there's a higher power, something else at work and at play here. But one of the things I didn't realize is that my experience became my story. And so when I would walk in, when I'd walk into conversations with people and they would say they have cancer or they have someone who has cancer, I would begin to share my experience and my story with them. And so a few weeks ago, I was walking through the Charlotte Douglas Airport and I was with three of my managers and we passed by this bathroom. And this is how the power of a story means something because I said to them, I said, hey guys, see that bathroom over there? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, did I ever tell you the story of my friend who died in there? And they're like, what? And I'm like, yo, you don't know about the story of Clark? And they're like, no. And I said, Clark was a guy that worked for me. And uh, he was an amazing guy, a Christian guy, a believer in the new king and the new kingdom for sure. And Clark got bladder cancer. And within six months, he was given a diagnosis that there was no way that he was ever gonna be healed. And so his wife came to me and said, hey, I wanna take him to Mexico for some alternative treatment. Will you help me get him to the airport? We get to the airport gate and Clark's gotta use the bathroom. And the family restroom was full, so his wife couldn't take him. And she said, would you take Clark to the bathroom? Now, if you're a guy, like, you're trying to act cool and stuff about it. But, like, guys usually don't take guys to the bathroom. Ladies, you might go to the bathroom with somebody, but you don't, we don't usually take people to the bathroom, adults. And I'm like, hey, no problem. I got him. So I, he's in his wheelchair. I wheel him in to a very, very busy men's bathroom in Charlotte that day. And we worked our way all the way down to the handicap stall, which was at the other end. And the, it was open. Imagine that. 
And so I wheel Clark in and I shut the door and I get him all ready and we get his sweatpants down and I said, hey man, it's cool, man. We're bros, we're friends. Like this isn't a big deal. You do it for me, I'm doing it for you. Let's not worry about it. So I get him, I get him out of the wheelchair and onto the toilet and then I look at the ceiling tiles. I start whistling and counting and we talked about weird things, but it was weird. It was a little weird, like, right? It just is. But you love the person. Like Clark was my, my buddy, my friend. And so he gets done, I get his sweatpants up and I, I'm leaning over the toilet to pick him up and his wheelchair sits higher and I said, Clark, look, I'm probably gonna need a little bit of help so I don't throw my back out trying to get you up into the wheelchair. So on the count of three, give me a little boost with your legs and I'll, I'll get you over into the wheelchair. And he was like, got it. And so I'm like, I lean over, I grab him, I'm like, one, two, three, and I go to lift up and I get him right to the edge of his wheelchair rail and we hit it and I can't get him over and I have to set him back down on the toilet. And I'm like, okay, Clark. Like, I, I get it, right? It's like one, two, three, and then lift, or is it one, two, and lift on three? We're gonna do it one, two, three, and then lift, okay? And I said, here we go, ready? One, two, three, and go. And I get him up, and we get to the same spot. I feel no effort from Clark. I'm putting in all the work here, and I put him back down on the toilet. <clears throat> and I'm like, I step back, and I look at him, and I'm like, Clark, bro, what is going on? And he wasn't there. His eyes were open, there, were no, there was no nerve movement, no breathing, nothing. He was just completely gone, and I lost it. I was like, I started screaming, and, the, and the, I'm, I've never slapped somebody in my life, and I'm slapping his face as hard as I can. I'm like, Clark, come back to me, Clark, come back to me. You gotta come back to me, Clark. Come on, Clark, you gotta come back. And at the moment that I thought nothing was gonna happen, I turned to grab the door, and as I grabbed the door to go out and try and find some help, I heard Clark go, <gasps> and I turned around and I said, Clark, and he said, pray for me. And in a crowded men's bathroom, there's two guys in a handicapped stall, and I'm like, Jesus, we need your intervention. Would you step onto the platform of Clark's pain and suffering right now? Because we need the impossible to happen. We need an experience with the divine to happen in this moment. And over the next several minutes, it was amazing. It was probably 10 or 15 minutes, to be honest, but Clark's color came back and his breathing kind of came back to normal. And I got him some towels and cleaned up his face and I cleaned up my face. I was a mess. I was sweaty and hot. But I saw, Clark, I saw God do something incredible in Clark's life to the point that he could get on a plane and fly to Mexico with his wife. And over the next uh, month, month and a half, Clark had a massive battle with cancer. And it was a struggle with life and death itself. And there's this moment where Clark's in the hospital bed and he sits straight up and he screams out, oh, death, where is thy sting? Where is thy victory? And people are like, oh my gosh, that's scary. Like he's on the verge of death and he's yelling out, death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? And I'm like, it's not scary at all. Because I believe that in that moment, Clark's not afraid of death. He knows where the victory lies because the victory is standing next to him. It's Jesus. Jesus is stepping into this moment with his divine power and saying, Clark, I know exactly the pain and the hurt and the suffering that you're going through because I did it too. I went through unbearable pain and suffering for a divine purpose and my divine purpose was to give you hope and joy, and peace, and I'm standing with you in this moment, and death shouldn't scare you because I'm stronger than death. 
Clark, I love you, and I have the best in store for you. And I believe that in those moments that Jesus was standing with Clark and did something impossible that we can't explain, that he rescued Clark's life from death and sent him to eternal life. Now, you might say, well, like, but he died. And I'm like, yeah, he died, but he's with Jesus. He has life eternal. And you're like, well, that's not a great story. And I'm like, what do you mean? The story's not over. It's still being written. Because 10 years later, I'm in the Charlotte airport with three guys who don't know who Jesus is. And I'm like, hey, did you ever hear the story of the experience that Clark had with Jesus in the Charlotte Douglas bathroom? And his experience is now his story, and his story keeps going on and on and on. God continues to use our story, just like he's using John's story and the blind man's story with us. So the rest of this chapter nine in John, what happens is this blind man sees. He washed, he sees, and he's running around, and he's looking at everything. Can you imagine the first time like he's down in the water and he washes the mud off of his eyes and all of a sudden he sees water? Can you imagine what it would be like for the very first time as an adult to see your hands and know what your hands actually look like, what your skin looks like, all the little wrinkles and the fine lines on it? And then he looks up and he, he sees the skyline, he sees the sun, he sees birds. Like, can you imagine? He's heard them his whole life, but he hasn't actually seen a bird. And then can you imagine him running to find his parents and for the very first time, he locks eyes with his mom and he's like, that's what she looks like. That's my mom. It had to be an amazing moment, but it was so hard for people to understand because they're like, hey, isn't that the guy that's uh, like blind? Like he's the guy on the corner, right? He, he begs all the time and he's been blind since birth and people are like, yeah, yeah, that's him. And then other people are like, no, it can't be him. It's impossible. No one's ever been born blind and then all of a sudden sees it can't be this guy. And they're like, yeah, yeah, it's him. And the blind guy standing in the middle of everybody going, hey, hey guys, guess what? It's, it's me, it's me. I'm the guy on the corner. Uh, and they're like, well, how could this happen? And he goes, I'll tell you. I'll tell you exactly what my experience was and what my story is. This guy named Jesus spits in the ground, makes some paste, throws it in my eyes and says, go wash in that pool. And I did exactly what Jesus told me to do. And now I see. And they're like, no way, that can't happen. They're like, if he did that, where is he? And the blind guy goes, funny thing. Like, if you listen to my story, I was blind. Like, I was blind when he put it in my eyes and told me to go wash. So I did, and I don't know where he went because I was blind when he told me to leave him. He's around here somewhere, but... I just know his name's Jesus. So the people are like, that doesn't make any sense at all. We can't understand it. So we're gonna take, it to the re- we're gonna take you to the religious people who understand everything about God. And so they drag this guy in front of the religious leaders and they're like, this is the blind dude that says he can see. And the religious leader said, tell us what happened. And he said, okay, here I go again with my story. I'm gonna tell you my story one more time. I was blind and this guy, Jesus, put mud in my eyes. I went and washed and now I see. Well, the Pharisees knew that it happened on the Sabbath. And they're like, nope, didn't happen, couldn't happen that way. And they're all caught up on the Sabbath. Like we've talked about this for weeks now as a church. The Pharisees were all stuck on the Sabbath. Here we go again. Like why is this guy doing stuff on the Sabbath? Because we know he can't be God. God would never do anything on the Sabbath. They had it all mixed up. You see, God, when he created the Sabbath, was to serve us, mankind. The Pharisees we're caught up on this idea that you shouldn't do any work. It should all be about rest. But instead, the Sabbath was about serving us. And Jesus actually served this blind man. 
He cared for him in an incredible way by helping him see for the very first time. So the Pharisees are like, go away. Um, hey, bring his parents in here. He's in trouble. Like, bring his parents in here. We're gonna talk to his parents about it. So they go and get this guy's parents and they bring him in and they're like, hey, is this guy your kid? And they're like, uh, definitely, he's our kid. That's, that's our kid. He was the guy that was on the corner begging all the time. And they're like, okay, well, yeah. So he wasn't really blind, was he? Like, he didn't really, it wasn't that he couldn't see anything. Like, he could see shadows or, or images or something like that, right? And they're like, oh, oh, no, no. He was definitely, he's been blind since birth. And then the Pharisees were like, okay, so now how does he see? And the problem was that the parents were really fearful of the power and authority that the Pharisees had because what they had created and what they had done was for a very few people. And if you didn't believe the way they believed and they didn't believe that Jesus was the divine, the new king sent from heaven, they didn't want to believe it because it didn't fit their model. It didn't fit their understanding of who God was. He was breaking all those things. And so the parents looked at it and they pulled back a little bit and they said, well, hey, you know, <clears throat> it's, that's our son. It's his story. He's a grown man. Go ask him his story. Let him tell you. So they dragged the guy all the way back in again. And they're like, okay, we know that Jesus isn't God because he did this thing on the Sabbath. He's breaking all the rules of who God's supposed to be. So just confess that God healed you, not Jesus. And the guy's like, man, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I don't understand why you're taking this path or route. All I know is this guy named Jesus put mud in my eyes, told me to go wash, and now I can see. You see what the blind man is saying to these guys is like, you have to understand everything to believe anything? Like, where in life is that really true? Like, for us, do you believe in gravity? Like, do you understand everything about gravity? No, I don't understand everything about gravity, but I believe it exists or we'd all be floating around in the air right now. Or what about love? Do you understand everything about love? It's so hard to define and understand and create rules and a system and process around it, but we don't have to understand everything about love to believe that you can love and be loved. And so what the blind man says is, hey, I don't know, I don't know where in the world you have to understand everything to believe anything. He said, I don't have to understand everything to believe something because what I do know is he put mud in my eyes, told me to wash, and now I see. And so the Pharisees were livid. They were mad because it broke again all their thoughts. It was challenging their authority of who God was, and so they kicked him out. They excommunicated him, said, you can't be part of the new kingdom. And so the blind guy goes out, and Jesus has been paying attention, and this is, where, uh, this is what happens next. It says, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and went and found him. He asked him, do you believe in the son of man? The man said, point him out to me, sir, so that I can believe in him. And Jesus said, you're looking right at him. Don't you recognize my voice? And the man said, master, I believe and worshiped him. You see, for the very first time, the blind man had heard, or had come face to face with Jesus. Up until now, he'd only heard his voice. And it's really interesting, right? Because uh, we talk about John had a faith journey of sorts. He had heard a story and was believing a story, but then all of a sudden Jesus shows up in his everyday life and he becomes an experiencer of Jesus firsthand. 
And this blind man had been blind his entire life, heard Jesus's voice. And what he heard when Jesus said, go wash, what he was hearing Jesus say is, trust me. Like, I see that you're on the side of the road and that you're in pain, that you're hurting. I see the challenges that you have in life just to get around and care for yourself in your everyday life. Just trust me, I have something better in store for you. Just trust me, I want the best for you. Just trust me, do what I say and see what happens. And the blind man blindly trusted Jesus and walked down to the water and washed his face. And when he did, the divine stepped into his life and changed everything. And I think that's what Jesus wants us to know. What's your story? What's your experience with them? You don't have to understand everything to believe something about Jesus. Have you heard his voice? Has he said to you, trust me, I love you, I've got the best in store for you. Just follow me. You can be part of my kingdom. I'm gonna change everything. I'm gonna restore and rebuild those hurts, those pains, the loss of people, the loss of relationship, cancer, depression, loneliness. Jesus is there, ready to do something what we think is impossible, that we don't think will ever change in our life. And so I just wanna take a minute and let us all reflect on that. If you just bow your heads and just, just for a moment sit and listen quietly and say, God, what is my story? What is my experience? For some of you, you have a Jesus experience and it is your story and that's amazing. Just say, thank you, Jesus. Thanks for caring for me. Thanks for continuing to write my story. It's not done yet. It's gonna go for a long time. It's an amazing story because it ends with me being in your presence even more the presence of the divine. And for some of you, you're like, man, I've been trying to believe, I've been trying to understand everything about God to believe something. But it's really true. I don't have to understand it all to believe something. I hear God speaking, saying, trust me, just move, make some movement. It doesn't have to be a physical movement like the blind man moving. It can be a spiritual movement in your heart. You can just say, God, right now, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Forgive me of the things that I've done wrong. Rebuild and restore my life. Give me hope and joy and peace. And God, let me experience you in a new way so that my story will be forever changed. God, I thank you so much for Southside. I thank you for the people that come here every week and the people that they're trying to reach. And God, I just pray your blessing over this church and its community that you will continue to do the divine, the impossible, that you will change people's hearts and lives and that this will be a church and a community that's filled with hope and joy and peace because we believed in you and we're part of that new kingdom. Thank you, Jesus for being our king. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. It's so good to be with you guys.
I'm so excited about what God's doing here at Southside. I hope you have an amazing Sunday and we love you. See you next week, all right? Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. And to stay up to date with all things Southside, follow at Southside underscore church on Instagram. We love you guys. The best is yet to come.